The Lord be with you. As I said in an email earlier this week, with all that's going on in the world, decided to call an audible. We were supposed to be looking at Psalm 16, and we'll come back to that soon enough, probably next week. But to plow ahead as though everything was normal seemed at best tone deaf and at worst willfully ignorant. And besides, my heart wasn't in it. After watching the murder of George Floyd, all I could muster was, again? Again? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I need space to lament. You may be feeling sadness. You may be feeling anger. You may be feeling confusion or conflicted. You may not have any idea how to feel. But wherever you are, I think this is where we need to be together. And I think we need to look together at Psalm 13. So before we do whatever we need to do to listen well to those words, I want to invite you to pray. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So Lord, as we gather in darkness today, we pray that your light would shine and that we would learn to reflect it into all the dark corners of this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. How long? Really, truly, how long, Lord? It's been 50 years, over 50 years, since the Civil Rights Act. It's been over 150 since the Emancipation Proclamation. How long? It's been 401 years since the dawn of the transatlantic slave trade in 1619. How long, O oh Lord? And we can go back further than that. The story of human history is filled with interracial violence and oppression. We can go all the way back to Babel in Genesis 11, when we lost our ability to communicate with one another, when we were scattered across the earth. 
We can go back further. We can go back all the way to the garden in Genesis 3. When Adam self-justifies his sin by blaming Eve, and Eve does the same with the serpent. It was there. It was at that moment when we stretched out our hands and took that fruit, when we chose to believe that God did not have our best interests at heart, when we chose to believe there was not enough to go around. It was there in the garden where we learned our scarcity mindset, where we were deceived into playing zero-sum games, where for one person to win and thrive, someone else had to lose. Already there in Genesis 3, we find our relationship torn apart and the seeds of racism planted. And indeed, the the, the whole arc of Scripture is about how God goes to work to knit back together what was broken apart on that day. Our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, and our relationship to all of creation. The first of those relationships often gets all the press in the church, but make no mistake about it, one of the primary threads that weaves its way through all of Scripture and the story of the church is the thread of racial reconciliation. The purpose at the heart of the covenant with Abraham was that God would bless the nations through him and his family. When God chose the nation of Israel to be a holy nation, set apart from the rest of the world, it was not because they were inherently worthy of it and better than the rest. It was grace and grace alone. And it was so that by working through them, God might draw all the nations to himself, that they might be a city on a hill and a light to the nations. God has a habit throughout Scripture of using foreigners like Rahab and Ruth to not only carry forward God's promises in the world, but also the bloodline that would lead to Jesus. When Israel began to look down on their Gentile neighbors, God sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh to directly confront the racism in his own heart. And then God gave visions to prophets like Isaiah of a day when God would gather all people and all nations to God's holy mountain for worship. And as we turn from the Old to the New Testament, the thread only intensifies. It's the Samaritan, not the two Jews, who are cast as the loving and faithful neighbor. It's to the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus says a day is coming when Jews and Samaritans will worship God together in spirit and in truth. And as the disciples are sent out with the good news of Jesus' resurrection, they're not sent just to their fellow Jews, but to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God shatters their expectations by sending them out and sending them to people like Cornelius in Acts 10 and 11, where we see the Holy Spirit poured out upon Gentiles as well. Paul captures this horizontal aspect of Christ's work when he says this in Galatians 3, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, there's the great vision 
in Revelation 7. As the veil is pulled back and John is given a vision of what is really real, of what is going on in heaven above, and it's there around the very throne of God in the context of the great feast and the eternal outpouring of worship that we find saints gathered from every tribe and every nation and every language and every people. This is part of the arc of Scripture. God is knitting back together that which has been broken. God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is part of what God is doing in the world. But how long is it going to take? How long? Because while we wait for its fruition, while we anticipate Revelation 7, in the meantime, this is not just theory. This is not just theology. People are dying. Lives are being ruined. Tears are being shed. And fear drenches everything. From the perch of privilege, many in our predominantly white and affluent community are able to speculate and conjecture and hypothesize. We have the privilege of patience. It's not our children, after all, whose lives are in danger. But what we see erupting in this moment right now is the sheer desperation of those who don't have that privilege of those whose polite patience has long since worn through, of those who groan from the very depths of their hearts and souls, O Lord, how long? Will you forget us forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul and sorrow in my heart all day long? How many lives will be lost? How long, O Lord? Emmanuel Katangale and Chris Rice in their book, Reconciling All Things, write this. The first language of the church in a deeply broken world is not strategy, but prayer. The journey of reconciliation is grounded in a call to see and encounter the rupture of this world so truthfully that we are literally slowed down. We are called to a space where any explanation or action is too easy, too fast, too shallow. A space where the right response can only be a desperate cry directed to God. We are called to learn the anguished cry of lament. Biblical lament is not despair. It's not whining. It's not a dirge. It's not crying out into the void. Lament is a cry to God. Lament is the place where we learn to slow down where we stop looking away, 
where we gaze deeply into the absolute brokenness of our world and our existence. And where we do so not for the sake of the pain, not even for the sake of empathy, but because we believe that God has already come, has already taken into himself in Jesus all of it, and has already conquered the evil in us and in the world so that we can no longer have anything to fear from it. So that we can be broken by this injustice. So that we can join with our tears. Because we know the God who hears our cries. Lament is about learning to hope in a broken world. Lament, friends, is the gift that we can give our neighbors right now. There's so much work that needs to be done. But that work begins on our knees as we join our hearts with our brothers and sisters of color, as we learn to see what they see, to feel what they feel, so that we might pray as they pray. How long, O oh Lord? How many more times must we watch innocent black men and women murdered on cell phone videos? How many more will be harassed and abused and killed whose experiences aren't caught on video and so never receive any justice? How long will this go on? How long? In his speech following the 1965 march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King took up that question. This is what he said. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men, darken their understanding, and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lying prostrate on the streets of Selma and Birmingham and communities all over the South be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men? Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from weary souls with chains of fear and the manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth bear it? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Dr. King could say those words not because he believed in the inherent goodness of humanity, 
Dr. King could say those words not because he believed in the myth of progress, that somehow with time things will get better and better. He did not read the letters from Birmingham jail. Dr. King could say these words because he did not believe justice was an abstract concept, but a person. A person who had endured such violence and injustice himself. The judge judged in our place. The truth crushed to the earth to rise again. Jesus Christ, who by his life, death, and resurrection has reconciled us to God, to our neighbors, and to all of creation, and who has now given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, what makes lament lament is not simply the minor key, but the context of faith and trust and hope in which that cry is offered. The same psalm that begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Ends, but I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. And as we pray, as we cry out this week, we trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. Not because we believe in the myth of progress, not because our privilege allows us to, not because we are deluded and ignorant about our dark past, but because God has come to darker pits than this. God has used weaker people than us. God has raised death to life. And God is putting back together all that is broken. Brothers and sisters, my soul is heavy this week. And I know many of yours are too. But wherever you are, and whatever you're feeling, I want to invite you to join me in praying these words. In joining our hearts with our brothers and sisters in color. In doing our best to see what they see. To feel what they feel. That we might pray as they pray. That in all of the pain and the brokenness, we might learn not to defend ourselves. Not to despair or destroy, but to anchor our hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. Friends, let's pray together. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.